Okay, you ready? You can hear me okay? Great, we're on? Perfect. Awesome. Let's go. I'm Peter Little, lead pastor at Christ Pacific Church in Huntington Beach, California. We're cultivating a community of faith, hope, and love that follows Jesus into the world. And you're listening to our Sunday Sermons podcast. To learn more about us or to subscribe to this podcast, visit us at cpchb.org. Thanks for listening. Uh, a number of years ago, good friend of mine, mentor Tim, uh, he and I went to the beach in Vancouver, B.C. Uh, this beach, in fact, um, it's called Spanish Banks. And uh, we went here for a swim in the summertime, and uh, the water in the summer is still freezing because it's Canada. Um, and uh, so it was, it was cold, but we went for a swim, and we were kind of looking for a workout. We pictured, or we found on this buoy, it was like down, down the shoreline, like 200 yards, although we were in Canada, it was 200 meters off the shore. And uh, we're like, hey, that'd be a good place to uh, swim to. So we hopped in uh, this beautiful blue ocean water. It's just gorgeous. Hopped in, swam down to the buoy, took a break, and then um, uh, swam back to the shore. And by that point, you know, our muscles were pretty like frozen. And so we uh, kind of thawed out on the shore. And then my buddy Tim, he was like, you know what? I'm not really up for uh, swimming back. I think I'm just going to walk back. Uh, down the beach, back to where our bags were. I was like, that's cool. I think I'm going to swim. I like to swim. I think I'm going to swim back. And so uh, he started walking back to where we had started, and I started walking back into the water out towards the buoy so I could swim uh, back to where we had started. And I I got in, and I got about waist deep, and I was about to dive in. And what happened next will stay with me for a really long time. Yeah, and I'll tell you about it in 20 minutes, okay? (laughs) So, uh, let's pray. God, we thank you for these words that you gave to your prophet Isaiah. And uh, we thank you that you spoke to him and through him to the people in Judah in uh, the 8th century B.C. And we thank you that you continue to speak to us your words through the prophet Isaiah, in this 21st century, um, after the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We pray, God, that your words here would um, not only like inform us, but that these words would actually transform the way in which we live. We don't want to just become smarter about you. We want to become more like you. And we believe that your words have a tendency to do this to people. So would you do this to us today as we consider your word through Isaiah chapter 6. We pray this in the faithful name of Jesus, the living word. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You know, I can say a date, uh, just a date. I can just mention a date and fill your minds with all sorts of things, all sorts of pictures, memories, etc., September 11th, that's all I need to say, and a whole story, a whole narrative uh, has just rushed into your minds. Um, Here's a new one now, March 2020, I can say that, And, uh, and a whole host of memories and experiences and associations rush 
um, into your mind. This is the equivalent of what the prophet Isaiah did when he began chapter 6 with these words, in the year that King Uzziah died. What would have come to mind to Isaiah's contemporaries when he said, you know, in the year that King Uzziah died? Now, for you and me, that's kind of meaningless because, you know, we have no idea what happened the year that King Uzziah died unless we do a whole bunch of reading and research. Well, let me give you just a little bit of a history uh, lesson. So Uzziah was uh, a great king in Judah. He was a faithful king. He reigned for a long time. Um, And uh, under his leadership, he uh, was able to uh, restore the strength of the Judean army. He um, regained control of a strategic port on the Red Sea. He also controlled uh, gained control of, um, of a plateau, of a strategic prairie, uh, prairie west of Judah. Um, these two holdings meant that um, there were all sorts of tariff and tax income that was new and that was flooding into Judah at that time. And Uzziah, being a good king, he used all of those royal revenues to invest in infrastructure. And, and it was like a really good time for the nation of Judah. He brought jobs. The economy was growing. National stability increased. Um, and as I have said, he invested in the infrastructure rather than just padding his own pockets with all of these tariff and tax proceeds. So the days of King Uzziah, they were really good days. And we're told in the Old Testament book of Chronicles um, that the reason Uzziah was such a good king was because he was faithful to the Lord. He sought to be faithful to the Lord, to do things the way God wanted him to do them, to lead and to reign the way that the Lord commanded. Unfortunately, as um, is often the case, um, Uzziah's success kind of went to his head. And he began to think like, man, I'm, I'm amazing. And uh, he stopped giving God the credit and he started taking the credit for himself. And so he stopped walking in the ways of the Lord. He became less faithful to the living God. Of course, this rubbed off on all the rest of the people. Uh, and in the years leading up to Uzziah's death, um, the, the nation, the country, Um, had an increasing sense of uneasiness because uh, the encroachment of a couple of very powerful nations at their borders. By the time that King Uzziah died, it was sometime around 740, 739 BC, you know, 740 years before the birth of Christ. By that time, um, Assyria's aggressive army, so Assyria was like the main player, uh, the, the main world superpower. Assyria's aggressive army now flanked Judah on both the east and the west sides. I mean, in fact, on the north border of Judah, there was only one small, insignificant kingdom between Judah and Assyria, and that was the kingdom of Israel. That's a different story. But basically, Assyria had Judah surrounded and didn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that it was only a matter of time before Judah would fall to the Assyrian army. Meanwhile, on the southern border of Judah, the Egyptians, as they kind of have always been doing, uh, they have been fighting with Judah over access and control of some major trade routes. If you have control of those trade routes, then you have control of lots of income uh, and exchange. And so basically the story is this. 
Uh, Judah is surrounded by enemies. And they're surrounded by enemies that are much larger than them, much stronger than them, much wealthier than them. So to say the least, times were precarious, right? And to add to all of that, Uzziah, the guy who was responsible for, you know, kind of bringing good times and, and whom the nation had looked to for so long, King Uzziah, he up and died. It's like things couldn't possibly get worse for the nation at this point. The man who symbolized hope up and died. So it's into this context, into this uncertainty, you know, being surrounded by enemies now, the one that they had hoped in was dead. It's into this context that Isaiah chapter 6 invites us in the opening line. In the year that King Uzziah died, when things were uncertain, when things were precarious, when things were difficult, when things were scary, can, can you relate to this? Is, it like, is this written for today or 740 B.C.? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. Don't miss that. In a year when it seemed like the world was going to hell in a handbasket, in a world when every, in a, in a time when the world seemed as it was falling apart, when things were out of control, when everything was uncertain, in that world, I saw the Lord on the throne of the universe, in control in power and authority, ruling and reigning in the midst of all of that certainty, the Lord was certainly on the throne of the universe. Does this speak to us? And I wonder what feels uncertain to you these days. Sometimes it feels like everything, doesn't it? Maybe your family feels uncertain. You know, maybe you're entering into a new season. Maybe uh, your children are moving away. Or maybe your marriage is on the rocks. Or maybe you're trying to adopt and it's not working out very well. Maybe your family feels uncertain. Or maybe your financial situation feels uncertain. Maybe um, the declining stock market and the increasing interest rates have got you feeling uncertain about whatever, retirement, about upcoming decisions, about hopes that you had that are now becoming dimmer because of those financial realities. Maybe medical bills are beginning to stack up. What uncertainties are you experiencing? Or what about this one? You know, maybe you just have a vacation planned and it's kind of uncertain because of COVID whether or not you can go, you know? Will you get COVID? Will somebody else get COVID? Will things be shut down? What are you uncertain about? And in the year 740 BC, when everything for Judah seemed so uncertain, in that year, Isaiah sees this vision, and in this vision, he sees the Lord on the throne, holy on the throne. The, robe of his, the train of his robe filled the temple. In other words, it was magnificent. His glory was more than Isaiah could take in. His power was overwhelming. He was in charge. There's a fancy theological word for this. It's called sovereignty. God is sovereign. He's in control, even when so much feels so uncertain. And this is really good news. This is the reality into which Isaiah is being invited to live his life. 
The Lord is showing Isaiah this because the Lord is saying, look, I I don't want you to live into the reality of all the uncertainness. Like that's true, but that's not the primary reality that ought to define your life. The primary reality that ought to define your life is the reality that God is on the throne, no matter what's going on. And I've already said this morning, we live in the midst of two different realities at the same time. One of the realities is that the world is broken. And the other reality is that the kingdom is coming. It's breaking in. God ultimately in Jesus Christ is victorious. And this is the reality that we're invited to make, uh, to define our lives by. What will be the primary plot line of your story? Will it be the uncertainty that you face or will it be the reality that God is on the throne? That he's good, that he's faithful. He knows what's going on. What happens next in the text is super weird. Isaiah cries out, he says, woe is me, I'm ruined, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Isaiah is like absolutely undone in the Lord's presence. He sees God's holiness. He sees God's perfection. He sees God's beauty. And in that moment, Isaiah realizes, I am not holy like that. I am not perfect like that. I am not beautiful like that. And Isaiah has this unyielding sense that he is unworthy to be in the presence of this holy God. And uh, you know what comes to mind for me is, uh, is this guy. Uh, what I think of in this moment is like a 120-pound golden retriever that has just been uh, wrestling with dead fish in a mud puddle after a rainy day. Um, and this dog that is an absolute mess has somehow found his way into a $7 million home on the Newport coast that has all white carpet. Right? You, you just know that he is not supposed to be there. You do not belong here. This is not where you should be. There was nothing that made Isaiah worthy of Yahweh's presence. It was like he should not be there, and Isaiah knew it. And you know what? Isaiah was right. He was not worthy to be in the presence of this holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. And yet, don't miss this, and yet the Lord chooses Isaiah. The Lord approaches Isaiah, pursues Isaiah. The Lord shows Isaiah a vision of himself. And the Lord forgives and cleanses Isaiah. Though he was unworthy, nevertheless, God pursued him and forgave him. Um, I don't know um, who, uh, who these people are, uh, but let me tell you about when Krista and I were dating and um, when we started to get uh, pretty serious, um, like really serious, um, we were like, hey, this, uh, this is going somewhere. And so um, I felt that I needed to have a really frank discussion with Krista. I needed to come clean with her about some realities in my life because this, like we're not playing games anymore. This is getting real. And so I had a really frank discussion with Krista about some really poor choices in previous dating relationships that I had made before I was a follower of Jesus. 
um, that I had not saved myself for marriage, that I was not a virgin, that I could not give that gift to Krista, though she could give that gift to me. And in that moment, I had this sense of being utterly unworthy. And you know what? I was right. And yet, I mean, obviously, you know how the story goes. She said, yes. And you know what that is? That is sheer grace. That's just unmerited, unearned, not because of anything you did. In fact, in spite of what you did, I choose to love you. And this is a beautiful picture of how God sees us, how God treats us, of what God thinks about us, what God thinks about Isaiah. Yes, Isaiah, you're right. You're not worthy to be in my presence, and yet I choose you to be here in my presence. Remember, Isaiah, I was the one that came to you, not you to me. You know, if that muddy golden retriever gets in that home, it's going to get kicked out right away. But that's not the experience that Isaiah had. He was not kicked out of Yahweh's house. In fact, he was welcomed in. One of the angels approaches Isaiah and uh, touches a burning coal to his lips. Oh, sorry, dog. There we go. Uh, one of the angels approaches Isaiah, touches, uh, touches his lips with some burning coals. I told you it was a weird scene. Um, and the angel says these words to him. He says, now that this has touched your lips, um, Oh, I'm lost here. I am so sorry. There we go. Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Isaiah, your guilt is no longer present. It's not that I've covered up your guilt or made your guilt invisible. Your guilt is not there anymore. Isaiah's guilt is now oxymoron. Those two things don't go together. It has been entirely removed. And in order that Isaiah doesn't miss this point, the Lord in his graciousness just says the same thing twice. It's on the screen. This is the same thing said two different ways. Isaiah, your guilt has departed. And if you're not sure about what that means, your sin is blotted out. Your culpability has exited the building. Right? Your blameworthiness just ran out the door. You're forgiven and... You're forgiven. Jesus says while he's hanging on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Can you imagine? To the very people who crucified him, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Blot out their guilt. Take away their sin. Do you believe that in Christ Jesus, through faith in him, your guilt has been taken away, your sin has been blotted out? Oh, to live into that reality. If you and I were to live into that reality today, how that would change our perspective, how that would change our relationships. That I am not guilty. I've been forgiven. I've been set free. Well, after Isaiah sees, you know, this overwhelming presence of the holy and all-powerful God, 
After he experiences a forgiveness, you know, this incredibly personal, transformative, like, wow, I'm not worthy to be here. And yet you, the holy God, approach me and wipe me clean of all that is unclean. After these experiences, Isaiah hears a voice calling out and God says to him, whom shall I send and who will go for us? What are you going to do in this moment? Put yourself in Isaiah's shoes. What are you going to do? Are you going to walk away? Think about what other agenda you could somehow get behind after having this experience. Think about some other Lord or God that you would give your life to after having this experience. What was Isaiah to do? How could he possibly walk away from this God? How could he possibly turn his back to this God after what he had experienced? And so I think Isaiah's response to the living God is the only sensible response he could have made. It just, it's given the evidence, given what he experienced, what else was he supposed to say? So he says, here I am. Here I am, God. Send me. Now, if I was Isaiah, I think I'd start asking some questions. Where are we going, God? What are we doing, God? When do we get there? How fun is it going to be? How difficult is it going to be? Am I going to have to give up anything? What's going to be in it for me? Give me a whole bunch more data so I can do a cost-benefit analysis to figure out whether or not this would be better for me or not in order for me to say yes to you. Do you know what I mean? I mean, like we're sort of, you know, joking, but actually isn't that kind of what we do? And yet for Isaiah, and I think this is the invitation for us, once you have the who down, the when, the what, the how, the why, all of that doesn't really matter. It's secondary because the most important thing is who are you going to follow? Who are you going to be with? Who are you going to obey? Who is going to be your God? All the rest, the consequences are inconsequential. All that mattered to Isaiah in this moment was he wanted to obey and be with that guy. Sorry, it's not a guy. With that God, with that one. Wanted to be with God because of what he had experienced. And you know, amazingly, the same thing happened with the first disciples of Jesus in the first century. I don't know if you are um, watching The Chosen, a great uh, series. I've watched, I don't know, like half of it or something. Um, they do a really good job of, of trying to capture um, how Jesus, in such few words, gets these people to follow him. And you know, these, uh, these young disciples are like, it's just there's something about his presence. There's something about the way he looks at me. There's something about the way he speaks. We just had to follow him. We just, we had to say yes. We wanted to say yes. I think that's Isaiah's experience right here. Uh, let's go back to the Spanish banks in Vancouver, shall we? Okay, so, so I walk in the water. I'm like waist deep. And uh, my friend Tim is walking down the shore. I'm all by myself. And uh, what had been these 
beautiful crystal clear blue waters suddenly to me became like this massive dark abyss under which all sorts of dangerous creatures were lurking. Right? It's the same water. It's just that now I'm alone. Now I'm on my own by myself. About waist deep, one of these little guys pops his head up. You think it's cute. I did not think it was cute. It's like, I don't know, 100 feet away or something. This cute little harbor seal. Well, I did not see a cute little harbor seal when I was entering the dark, mysterious, uncertain waters of Spanish banks. I saw a 1,200-pound leopard seal who was ready to eat me in a moment's notice, right? And isn't this like, isn't this what fear does, right? Fear magnifies the unknown. You know, never mind the fact that literally the nearest leopard seal to where I was was 9,000 miles away in Antarctica. But when I saw that cute little seal, this guy, my brain which was influenced by fear, saw this guy. Because fear has a tendency to magnify the unknown. Why do you think fear not is the most common command in the Bible? Do not be afraid. You see, fear will lead you to unreasonable conclusions. It will lead you to do unreasonable things. It will make you think this cute little seal is actually a 1,200-pound leopard seal who is definitely going to eat you. Fear magnifies the unknown. But you know what's going on with Isaiah in this text? Is that faith magnifies the Lord. Right? Fear makes the unknown or our enemies seem bigger and more powerful than they actually are. But faith magnifies the living God, right? Fear says, let me tell you how big your problems are. Faith, did I say faith? Fear makes you say, uh, makes me say, let me tell you how big your problems are. Faith says, let me tell you how good your God is. Fear says, oh, in the year that King Uzziah died when everything was uncertain and it seemed like the nation was bound for destruction and the world is going to hell in a handbasket, faith says there is a God who sits on the throne of the universe and he's good and he's gracious and he's forgiving and he wants to be with you and the reality is you're not worthy to be in his presence, but he's over it. He wants to be with you, and he will forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness so that you can enjoy one another's company. Fear magnifies the unknown. Faith magnifies the Lord. So what are we supposed to do with this? Or what are we supposed to do with this information? I, I started this morning by praying that, oh God, you would not just inform us so that we would become smarter about you, but that you would transform us so that we would become more like you. So what are we supposed to do with this information? Well, here's the invitation that I want to extend to you. I think it's the invitation of the text. I think it's the invitation that God would have for us here in this 21st century in Huntington Beach at Christ Pacific. And the invitation is simply this. Will you take a step of faith today by identifying just an area of your life. You know, I, I think a small step approach is helpful, right? Just, 
Just identify an area of your life about which you will begin to say to the Lord, in this area of my life, here I am. I will follow you come what may. That's the invitation for us today. Jesus, in this area of my life where it feels uncertain, maybe it's my family, maybe it's my finances, maybe it's my inability to take a day off, maybe whatever it is, what area of your life can you say to God, okay, okay, God, here I am. I'll follow you, come what may. I'll trust you because you're trustworthy. You are worthy of my trust. That's the invitation today. Thanks for joining our Christ Pacific Sunday Sermon Podcast. To hear more of our sermons, or to subscribe, or to learn how you can be engaged with what we're up to in Huntington Beach, please visit us at C.